You are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast with Diogo Custodio. If this is your first time listening, then thanks so much for coming. Get ready and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast. My name is Diogo. Today, our guest is Brian Welsh. He's a triathlon coach. He's a cycling coach. Um, he's an ultra-cycling endurance athlete. He has a lot of experience. Brian, thank you so much for joining this uh, podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on board. A pleasure, Diego. Um, Brian, I have a lot of questions for you because you have been doing a lot of stuff in the past years, especially ultra-endurance cycling uh, events like Race Across America, Race Around Ireland. Um, where did this love for sport, from sport um, came? How did it all started for you? I, I think with sport, um, I come from probably a team background. I played basketball when I was young, but I also ran. So they were my two sports probably till I was 30. And then I, from running marathons, I started getting injured. So I sort of retired for a bit and didn't do much. And then I thought, oh, maybe triathlon might be the way forward. Um, but I didn't know anything about triathlon at the time. Uh, so what I did was I entered an Ironman because it was the only one that was on TV. And I just thought everybody, that, that's what everybody did. So I thought... It was like the early 90s? Um, I did my first... 1997, I did my first Ironman. So I'd done nothing for three years. Um, and at the time, I was running a flour mill. So I had very little time to train. So I gave myself 13 weeks um, at six hours a week. And I'd, of course, I'd never swum and I'd never biked, but I knew I could pretty much run. So I was quite scared of drowning. So I did two hours a week swimming and I did three hours a week biking. Um, and it was because I wanted it, and I think that's what everything's about. It's about want. It went okay. I did 12 and a half hours. Um, but in those days, 12 and a half hours was not good because um, yeah. it was a very elite sport. So I was probably in the bottom 20% of the people finishing. But it was great. It was the longest day in the UK. Um, but it was great, yeah. And that probably brought me into the sport. And then um, you did, I know you did a few more um, Ironman races, especially Ironman Lanzarote, which I think is one of the, the hardest ones. Yeah, in the... but I love Lanzarote. How many times you did? Five times. Five I'm times. Probably going back next year. <laughs> um, but then from there, I started, I finished my logistics career and decided I wanted to do something else. So I wanted to coach, partially because I wanted to know what was getting me injured. So I did all the courses and that. And I ended up coaching the High Five guys um, who owned the company, um, who truthfully probably knew more than me, let's be honest. You know, they've been in the sport for ages and ages. And they decided to do a race around Australia to try and break the world record. And they went, oh, you've done an Ironman. You'll be okay. Do you want to come? <laughs> I'm like, yes, because you always are, you know. If somebody offers you something that's exciting, then 
99% of the time, you go take it. You've got to, yeah. I've had one that I've refused, which was the mountain bike race across the Alps because I would have died. Um, but because my mountain biking skills are terrible. So that's where ultra cycling started. Um, and it was eight people relay. We broke the world record by 20 hours. Um, but that was over 15,000K. So 20 hours probably isn't that huge. But it was, it just was exciting. Yeah. And I made friends, uh, you know, friends for life doing that. So it was, it was stunning. And I think that's what the sport's about, making friends for life. I think so. I, well, at least I can speak on my, my behalf that my best friends, all they come from the sport, uh, from triathlon mostly. Um, and as you said, you make friends for life. That's true. Um, I've been in, uh, in the race around Ireland in 2014 as a, as a part of a team that was uh, with a Portuguese athlete there. And as long as I remember, that was one of the hardest things to do. Um, it's incredible the amount of time that you guys spend on the bike and the lack of sleep that you have. Yeah. Um, how can you prepare a race like that? It's, I think you have to do a lot of training or a good amount of training. But I really don't think it's, unless you're at the very top end of the field, um, that it's about the amount of training you do, it's about your mind. Um, and I found this in both self-supported and supported races. So Race Round Island, the year we did it, and they've changed the course now, it had an extra two mountains in, in 2009. And I, I'd broken my wrist about nine weeks before, or should I say a car broke my wrist for me um, when I was on the bike. Uh, so really, the first day and a half, my wife carried me. We, we did it as a pair. Um, and then it got better. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you want to compete, you want to race, you, you don't want to let people down. Yeah. And, and my wife's much tougher than I am anyway. So it's... You usually say that women are tougher than men, that's for sure. <laughs> so hard. How did you how did you get her involved in this um, this don't take me wrong but this craziness? <laughs> in two thousand and five, she wrote to me to be coached, um, and she was living in Denmark at the time. So we started corresponding, and then she came over on a camp in Sardinia, and then she was always much more keen on doing long cycles than doing triathlons saying that she's done a lot of triathlons but she, um so in some ways she sort of led me i go oh let's do this she go yeah come on then let's do so that's how we did race across america in 2008 um because she was supposed to be doing it as a four women team four female team and then the other people dropped out one at a time. And I went, oh, I'll do it with you. You know, because it would have been my third time. And she went, oh, can we get another two? I said, no, I've done it as a four twice. Let's do it as a pair. And thankfully, because we have a relationship where she asks me questions either as a coach or a husband. So if she asks me as a coach, I say, yes, yeah, 
you can do this, we need to do that, we need to do that. As a husband, I'd say, God, we're being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in coach mode, so I went, yeah, let's go, yeah? And we did it, and we were only the second pair ever to do it in under nine days at the time. Wow. And, it, and that year, they changed the finishing time from 10 days to sub nine days. And we were like, didn't realise that was going to happen, but it was okay. We had a really, really good race. And then we came back, and it was brilliant because you're tired and you're you know, grumpy because you've had this huge, like, great race where everything falls off, off the precipice. So we went and did um, Norseman together. Um, and it was, it was great because, like, she was, oh, this is going to be so hard, this is going to be awful. So it's one day. We've just done <laughs> eight days across America. It's okay. Um, and she's South African, so she loves exciting stuff. So jumping off the ship, she loved. I'm British. I go to the edge gently, and then I, ooh. And I, I think somebody probably just gave me a little nudge in the back, and I was off. Yeah. Uh, so it was, we've always done things together. We did... In 2007, we did Paris Best Paris uh, and then drove from Paris to do the World Championships, at, Triathlon World Championships in Hamburg for, for Britain. So at that stage, we were doing mainly stupid things. Everything was crowded in together. Yeah. Yeah. But are the stupid things that um, give you memories, that's for sure? Oh, so much so. Yeah. Um, uh, in Norseman, we got past the final checkpoint to go up the mountain and I had some licorice. Now, Norwegian licorice is different from English licorice. And within about 100 metres, I was ready to be sick. And she's like, don't be sick here where they can see you. Get round the corner, they can't stop you. Uh, so uh, she's a, a typical tough South African. Yeah. Do, you, um, do you still coach her? Yes. Uh, yeah, and we still have the same conversations. Husband says you don't have to train. Coach says get your ass out there. <laughs> yeah, that's um, because I know some couples where he or her they are the coach and then the partner is the, the athlete. How can you two um, manage this kind of relationship? Because you have to be the husband and you have to be the coach, and you cannot I, mix both. I think it helped that I was the coach first. I have friends who are coaches who married their spouse and can't coach them to, because they always see them as their husband and them being critical. But because I coached them at first, I can say, well, she'll always say, is this as a coach or is this as a husband? Because as a husband, I'm fairly soft. As a coach, I tell the truth. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is the way to be. And she doesn't ever take offence if I tell her something as a coach. As a husband, obviously, she always takes offence. It's funny because uh, one of the, the persons I know where he is a coach and she's the athlete is Philip. Yeah. And um, it's quite funny to see how they, they have this kind of relationship in terms of when his husband is husband yeah. and when his coach is coach. Um, so I believe that you guys are almost the same level. Yeah. When it's about triathlon or, or cycling or sports, you have the coach uh, role and she has to accept it. And then you have the rest where you have to be the husband. 
when we were trying to qualify for Paris Best Pirates, because you have to do rides, and our 300k one, um, we had a disaster on my freewheel went, so I spent 25 miles dragging her. We changed bikes, and I dragged her for 25 miles or 40k on a bungee cord so that we could get to halfway and get the bike fixed and carry it. And on the way back, I went, well, there's no way we're going to make this time with it. And she went, why? I said, because you're too slow. And she went, I'll try harder, I'll try harder. And, I mean, it was my fault we were behind. And she did. She sat on my wheel for over 100k, and we made the time of it. It was just one of the best and bravest rides I've ever seen, you know? So yeah. uh, it's about uh, helping people, but letting them help themselves, you know, and being brave. And that's what I love about this sport. There's so many brave people. It is. Um, I know that you have a, a company called JSNT um, Endurance Coaching. So I believe that you coach more people than your wife only. Oh, yeah. But, but um, it stands for Just Sweat No Tears. But most of my athletes will tell you there's quite a few tears in there so that I lie. A lot of sweat. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, I've been coaching. We've been going since 2000 now. And it's, we've had so many different types of athletes through. You know, really, really good athletes. And... People just starting from the beginning, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm a bit different. I tend not to advertise, uh, and people come to me because I like the business small. I like just working with a, a few people. Um, so I always say I won't take more than twenty actual athletes at any, any one time. Um, and it's funny because I coached somebody in Norway for Barcelona Ironman, who was really a couch to. Barcelona Ironman in a year um, and then he recommended me to a, a friend in the States who came on board sort of like three months ago and it so it's strange you know uh, and I always have a a month starting with an athlete where we we get to know each other because some people don't like the way I work and I understand that and Lot, some people I don't like the way they work, so it's better if after a month we can say, "Well, that was really good," or it doesn't work. Doesn't work for us. And I've been known to recommend other coaches to people because I think that will fit their mentality. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the most important thing um, on the relationship between an athlete and a coach? Trust. Yeah, I always say to them, I don't care. If you haven't done a session, tell me you haven't done a session. Tell me why you haven't done a session, and we'll find a way around it. But if you sort of pretend, and it's very hard with Strava nowadays to pretend on anything, but um, it's that's the the biggest thing for me. You know, because things go wrong. People have lives. People have children and jobs, and for most people, this is a hobby. Mm -hmm. it's not life and death it doesn't pay the mortgage it probably takes away the money to pay the mortgage <laughs> uh, so that's the way I see it you know, it's, uh, so they've just got to tell me and I can normally do I can say which is the important session which is the session which they can get away with yeah? 
because most athletes like doing what they're good at. So me, I'm out on the bike and I run a lot. Um, I don't swim very often, uh, but what I sh what I should be doing is swimming a lot. You know, so and it's the same with athletes. You know, oh, I managed to get this running, but I missed my swim. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's what a coach does really. You know, they guide them to the right stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I agree with you. Um, you have been coaching for a lot of of time now. Have you seen any big difference in the athletes since when you started to know? Yep. In the athletes, yeah, it's great. The spread is so much bigger. Um, it used to be, when I started coaching, most people were pretty good. Yeah, They might have come from other sports. So they might have been footballers who, I was going to say got too old, but probably got too many injuries because of the turning. As a, or rowers who decided they didn't want to row anymore. And they were all at a very, very good level. Now I get people who want to start. And it's and being a coach and helping people start is you people used to say to me, I'm not good enough to have a coach. Because actually it's when you're not good enough that you really need a coach. Yeah. Um, just to cut out all the stupid mistakes. As I said, I came into triathlon late, so I learned my mistakes quite often the hard way. And if I can stop people doing that, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so that's the biggest of, and also the speed of information. I used to write people's plans, send them to them, and they used to send them back when they finished them that week. Whereas now, everything's instantaneous. You know? yeah. I use Google Sheets with people. And the second they fill anything in, I can see it. And when they've done, all my athletes are on Strava, not because it's a great tool for looking to see what they, how they've done it or what level of power they're doing, but it's a great tool just to know that, just to be able to tick it off and say, yeah, they've done that session, and then you can look later. You know? uh, so I just think that that speed is fantastic for coaches. One of the things I, I noticed as a coach um, is that sometimes technology also can affect the way the athlete trains because they tend to look a lot on, on the numbers they have and tend to forget, this is my approach, because I, I prefer an athlete to, um, to know their body quite well before understanding the numbers they have in, ahead of them. Um, do you feel the same about it? Yeah, well, because I coach a real range of athletes, um, some people have no idea ideas about the numbers. That's my job to interpret them. Um, but they know when they're tired. So we each day we do a feel-good factor, how much sleep they've had, rest and heart rate. And if all those three are starting to move horribly, we know that that's a bad thing. Um, but you, I think... Athletes know their body, but and you have two types of athletes: those who just push through and get injured, or those that won't push through because they're they're a bit scared of it. You know, um, and that's I think our job as a coach. I want I learned a lesson very early in my my life coaching. I let one of my athletes have 
two weeks off over Christmas. I said, just do what you want. Um, and this guy's, he used to be a cave diver and cave divers tend to be slightly nuts because they're putting their life in danger every time. So he had this two weeks off, did twice the amount I would have given him and got ended up injured. So I learned that being prescriptive sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> person. Yeah. And I should have I should have cut his training in half instead of letting him just go and do what he wanted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then um I know that you also are um a tutor for new coaches. Um have you seen any big difference on the the coaches nowadays from the ones you met a few years ago? I think obviously when I worked in the UK I did about two or three years tutoring and everybody was new to the sport. The sport was new. Yeah. Um whereas now there's so much information on the sport. But often people listen to everything and then don't don't try it out. I mean I I love all the new ideas coming out, but I will then try those new ideas with people before I put them out generally mm -hmm. uh, or on my, on myself. And I think sometimes there's a bit too much acceptance of this is great, this product works or you know look at this it's like I use Best Bike Split quite a bit, you know, mainly for m myself. But you know it's a tool. But, and if you, if it's junk in, it's junk out. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of at the moment, just junk. You know. Uh, but there's also a lot of good stuff. It's got having to be able to work your way through them. So it's up to the coach to decide what is what it works for him and what doesn't work. That's yeah. I think it's, um, it's the same. Um, speaking a little bit about the, the athletes that you coach for the race across America, um, what was your approach to coach a team to go to that event, which is around nine, ten days? Uh, yeah. Well, when we're doing a team, a four-person team, we're aiming to be around seven days. So in 2006, which was um, the same team as we did in 2018, so we went from being just about 50 to all being in our 60s. Um, the training was different. Um, but because as you get older, um, your endurance tends to improve, but your top end stuff tends not to be as good. So whilst we did the endurance, we did concentrate on the top end that as we get older, we don't like doing quite so much. So it was brilliant because the team in 2018 averaged a better speed than they did in 2006. Uh, so coaching people is about knowing what you can do and how you can do it. But things like Race Cross America are more difficult because you have a crew and everybody's tired all the time. And we've got better and better at training the crew over the years. When we first did it in 2004, um, we didn't have an idea what we were doing. And therefore, the crew didn't have an idea what we were doing. It was how, we, how we made it through, I don't know. But we did. We did. did. Um, whereas now, in 2000, 
in 2018, the crew got enough sleep, the riders got enough sleep, everything was perfect. No, pretty, pretty perfect. Um, so I think coaching people for different events you know, is exciting because you've got to take in all the logistics. But I come from a logistics background. That was what I did for PepsiCo and mm-hmm. other people. So that sort of stuff I love. Um, whereas when you're doing um, self-supported stuff, it's much more of a, a nightmare because you have, as it says, no support. And doing Trans uh, Trans America was, for me, a huge, huge challenge because I'm not good with maps. How long did it take it to, to do it? Um, 24 days, 23 hours. It was, it, it was good because because we'd had such a major fail in 2014, I wanted to go back and do something fairly epic, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's um, 6,300k. And you're carrying all your own stuff and you're in places that you've never, ever seen before. And it was just, it was scary, but exciting at the same time. Yeah. Um, Going through Yellowstone National Park, where you got to see bear cubs and fountains. uh, it, it It was stunning. But there was bits like in Kansas, which I know from Ram quite well, where you know the wind's going to be against you and you're just going to be struggling for a day or so. Yeah, um, it's it's so scary because really I didn't do anything until I was forty. So you know I ran marathons, but that's not putting yourself outside your comfort zone. Really. They give you water. Every couple of miles or so, you know. And that's around three, four hours, depending on how fast yep. you can. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas finding places to sleep, either out in the open or trying to find a motel. <clears throat> I remember riding in Trans Am for an extra four hours in the middle of the night to get to Star City, because thinking there would be a nice motel there. Star City, it's going to be beautiful. I have never been anywhere that has so little. I slept <laughs> in a schoolyard with a blanket over me, you know? Um, and there was no shops open for food because this was like one o'clock in the morning. I'm not sure there was ever anything open in Star City. Um, it, was, it, it was just that interesting all the time. Everything was different. What has been the craziest thing you've ever seen in this race? Because with so many miles on a bike... I believe that you have seen some amazing, amazing things and some yeah. very crazy ones. Is there any any story or any oh. episode that you'd like to... Uh... When I was going through Kansas, um, we'd just gone to a bike shop. Kick clean, bike perfect, everything good. I'm out 10 miles in and a tornado hits, hurricane hits, yeah? And I go on, go on, go on. And... Car comes past me and says, do you want a lift? And I'm like, no, I can't have a lift. I can't even see because it's so heavy the rain. See some houses further up. Go and knock on the door. 
you know, saying like, can I just shelter under your porch? And they're like, come in, come in. So they bring me, they can bring me in. And they've had one of these, but worse, um, about three or four days ago. So they've got no cooking, they've got no, they've got their hot water back. So I have a shower there and they dry my clothes. Um, and they've got, so they've got sandwiches that they've made. So, uh, because they've got no hot stuff, but they've only got a few, but they share all their sandwiches with me and everything. Yeah. And that's what I think traveling by bike does. People are so kind and so good. Whereas, like, if you're in a car, you're in a car. We'll about you, yeah. Yeah, you're not with the rest of the world, you know. Uh, so that was amazing, you know. I got, so I didn't want to stop for more, like, a couple of hours. So we're watching on their TV to see when the rains come over. And there's a break. So I get started again and get partway up the road. And it hits again. It's again. So I sleep. Basically, there's a Methodist church, and I just sleep outside that because it's locked, but it's covered, and the rain's pouring down. That and it was such a bad night that somebody else in the race actually got killed that night by being blown into a truck. So, and you, and I think for my supporters who were dot watching, that was probably scary because rumours start, and the guy was in my age group, so. And people can't get hold of me. Uh, so there's crazy things like that that happen in sort of... Uh, when I did TCR Transcontinental, the scariest moment was I was in Greece. I'd slept somewhere and these dogs been going around all night, screaming and barking. And about five o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, I thought, oh, they'll be settled now, you know? So I come out and I get started. I've got 14 dogs chasing me out of town. Um, and you can see on my heart rate thing, my <laughs> heart rate just go up. Because uh, I knew if I came off, I was dinner. You know? It was, <laughs> exactly. It was so scary. Yeah. Uh, my friends will tell you I'm still paranoid. I don't mind one or two dogs. I'll, call, 14. I'll talk to them, I'll do whatever. 14 of these wild things. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Yeah. So they're the scary things that have happened. Yeah. Oh my God! Um, is there any event that you'd like to to do and you haven't had the chance yet to do it? Yeah, um, um, ride the divide, which is a mountain bike race ride from Canada to Mexico, basically. Wow! Down sort of um, the Rockies, um, and for my 60th birthday, one of my friends who'd done it gave me all the maps and that. So if I hadn't been going back to Ram this year, I probably would have done, done it. But it's on the bucket list. Um, and I'd also like to do Badwater, which is the one where the temperature goes to like 132 degrees or something ridiculous. Um, because coming from a running past, that was always on the bucket list. Yeah. Uh, and there's... There's lots of, I mean, I think that's the thing that has changed. There's lots of amazing events out there now. Yeah. You know, lots of things that are scary enough to make you train to do. It must be so exciting um, to go around the world on a bike. Uh, I just can't imagine it. 
I honestly don't know if I would have the, the courage to do half of what you did. Um, if we think a little bit about last year and even this year. Sorry? Uh, I was just thinking in terms of um, thinking a little bit about last year and this year with the COVID situation. Um, has it been easy for you to keep yourself motivated to um, keep going? It's interesting because I, I didn't think it would be because I was training for Ram and I'd started in December training for Ram. And then I thought, well, I can't do anything about this. Um, I live in Switzerland. It's beautiful. We can go and do stuff. So in the last 14 months, I've done 22,000K training for Ram. So, yes, it's been crazy. And the, some of the virtual events have helped because I did Revolve 24 and I did the virtual World 24-hour championships. Um, and... So training for them has really helped. Um, maybe not helped my bottom, but really helped <laughs> everything else. Uh, because I I never thought I could do 709K, you know, in a 24-hour effort. And it, it was just, it was hard, but it was really, really exciting, you know, just pushing on that. So I'm hoping maybe next year, to actually go and ride Borrego Springs, which is where the, the course was, and see whether how close to virtual it really is. Sounds like a good challenge. Brian, uh, my last question for you is, um, if you have one athlete or a team of athletes who want to go on a race around Ireland or race across America, but they have zero experience, what piece of advice would you give to them? Um, get a crew chief who's been there. Um, and train your crew properly um, because I, you might know Nikki and Lisa they were them, yeah. um, we did we coached them to do the race both physically but we also went over and we trained the crew you know, Phil was on the crew and the crew were brilliant and the crew being brilliant meant that Lisa and Nikki could perform to what we expected of them and therefore they broke the record by miles you know um and so i think it's the planning stage it's the training but if it's a supportive race you've got to have a crew that you trust and that trust you i remember the the time i did the race around ireland um we were not expecting what you were just facing this was in 2000 14 if i'm not wrong and um, i left two days before the race ended and i know that the, the portuguese guy we were supporting 20k away from the finish line he was so tired that he stopped by a house knock on the door and asked the person to call the police because his crew was about to kill him <laughs> this this happened this is true um so now I understand what you're saying because we were not expecting that. Uh, some crazy stuff happened during that week. Yeah. I think that was one of the hardest weeks of my life because I, I think I slept around seven, eight hours in one week. It, it is. Um, you're aerobic who won race across America, America four times. He once, with his crew, said to them, you're all aliens. You're trying to capture me. So instead of trying to reassure him, they went, yes, so you better get on your bike and go. <laughs> <laughs> Just push them on and push them on. 
Which works quite nicely, I think. Yeah, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I have to take my hats off because uh, what you do is, is impressive, um, especially considering that you are not as young as you were before. Um, and being able to bring your wife on board is just it's impressive. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm a lucky. Brian, Thank you so much for the um, for this sharing of experience. It was uh, was very very good. Um, I hope to meet you one day in person and to be able to to cheer you up in one of the these amazing races that you do. Um, and I hope that you stay healthy and take care. And you, Diego. Thank you for your time. Thank you Bye -bye. so much. The Believe Strive Achieve podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and show notes are found at trytrainingharder.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at trytrainingharder. Thanks for listening.